This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope Church. My name is Mark. I'm one of the the lead pastors here. And it's my pleasure to share with you this week's message, which is chapter 88 of our short sermon series going through the book of Luke, not missing out any bits. Um, But I'm hoping and praying that we find treasure in every single verse. Before we start, let's pray. I've got a feeling we're going to need it this morning. Heavenly Father, speak through me this morning, I pray. Open our ears to hear your voice. Quiet our hearts to focus on you. Amen and amen. Now, as I was uh, watching some of the the pomp and ceremony this week, and just some of the the images of the inside of some of the the buildings and the the churches and the the cathedrals and stuff, where stuff's been going on uh, to commemorate the Queen, and just this realisation that these beautiful buildings were created as an act of worship. You know, and in, in many cases, you know, generations worked on this building before even seeing it completed. You know, there, there would have been fathers and sons, grandfathers, fathers and sons who worked on Salisbury Cathedral, for example, who never would have got to worship it because it was never finished in their lifetime. You know, how amazing is that? And in our own little way, I noticed this morning, I don't know who was quite responsible, but there's some cabling down here, which is a thing of beauty. You should, you should, you should see it before you leave. I mean, it is just, I don't know, mathematical precision like you have never seen. So take advantage of gazing upon it and pondering the beauty of the Lord's creation before you leave <laughs> this morning. Um, actually, I wanted to talk games before we get going. There's a couple of quick quiz. What do you think are the best-selling games of all time? I'm talking board games. What do you think is the best-selling board game of all time? Monopoly. Monopoly. Chess. So he's been around for longer. He's, he has an advantage. Yeah. What do you think is the second most best-selling board game of all time after chess? Backgammon is the third, so well done, Tracy. Actually, checkers is the second one. So it's these kind of ancient games that have been played by civilizations for hundreds of, of years. But in terms of modern games, yes, Monopoly is the first. Scrabble, the second. What do you think the third most popular modern game is? Cluedo. Cluedo, yes. Well done. And appropriately, what do you think the fourth most popular modern game is? Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> Um, but actually, the fifth would be Battleships. I loved that game growing up. But for me, there's been one game I've been looking for for 45 years, and I've never yet found it. 
and I just want to play this game so much. I am, of course, talking about Star Wars chess, right? <laughs> you know that, that, that scene in Star Wars when you've got C-3PO playing this, playing this kind of chess with your back, little hol holographic creatures that fight each other and rip each other's arms. Oh, man, let the Wookiee win, right? You... Now, chess is an example of what they call a finite game. In a finite game, you know who the players are, you know what the rules are, and the point of the game is to identify a winner. Although it says something about your personality, if you wanted to end that sentence saying the point of the game is to identify a winner and all the losers, if you're very competitive. But there is another kind of game. It's called an infinite game. And the purpose of an infinite game is not to find a winner. The purpose of an infinite game is to keep the game going. Right? The rules might even change over time, but what matters is that you keep the game going. And one of the ways that we can end up painting ourselves into a corner mentally and emotionally, getting upset and frustrated in life, is when we try and treat something that's an infinite game as if it's a finite game. When we're trying to be a winner in a situation when really what we should be trying to do is just keep the game going. And of course, when I say game, that's a metaphor for all kinds of things. For example, marriage is a good example of an infinite game, right? Your marriage is going to be much more fun and long-lasting if you both focus on keeping the marriage going. Yeah, couples who treat their relationship, in fact, any relationship that you treat as a finite game where you need to find out who's the winner and the loser in situations, who's right, who's wrong, yeah, that marriage, that relationship is going to struggle, isn't it? The point is not to find the winner. The point is to keep the thing going. And when you play an infinite game, you realize it suddenly doesn't matter if you let the Wookiee win because you realize that you're on the Millennium Falcon playing chess with a giant space bear and how cool is your life? <laughs> now, you might be thinking, what is he on about? What does all this have to do with the Bible? Well, what about our relationship with God? Do you treat that as a finite game where there's a winner and a loser, or an infinite game where the purpose is to keep the relationship going? Now, you might think that's an odd question, but as I've been pondering this this week, I'm, I'm developing this theory that for many people who are not yet Christians, they come at the idea of a relationship with God as a finite game, where there is a winner and a loser, or more appropriately, someone who's right, and someone who's wrong. And because they don't want to be someone who's wrong, they just refuse to play the game. Whereas as Christians, we come at the idea of a relationship with God as an infinite game because it doesn't matter. In fact, there's no concept of being right or wrong or a winner or a loser. That's really relevant. The whole point is to keep our relationship going, Right? So just park that concept of finite and infinite games. We're going to circle back to it a little bit later. Now, as we're continuing our slow walk through Luke, we've got to Luke chapter 12, the end of Luke chapter 12, and verse 57. And Jesus says, 
But the, um, the little lady who lives in my iPad just started to interact with me. <laughs> and and it, what was interesting is that what she thought was going on, she wanted to know, what, what do Steve and Jesus say? <laughs> I assume she meant Steve Jobs, but it might be this Steve. Uh, yeah. This is what Jesus says. Quiet lady in the iPad. He says, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, so what Jesus is talking about here is this idea of what's called a debtor's prison, where you're put in prison until you pay the money that you owe, until you pay off the debt, which is a concept I just don't understand, right? Because if, if someone owes you money, why would he put them in prison until they could pay you back? In other words, why would he prevent them from going to work to earn the money they need to pay you the money that they owe you? It makes no sense to me. But if you were ever unfortunate enough to end up in debtor's prison, then clearly you could end up staying there for a long time because you've got no means to earn the money you need to pay the debt you need to get out of the prison. In fact, you can end up there forever unless there was someone outside who paid the debt on your behalf to set you free. You could never get out of debtor's prison. So if you ever have the chance to avoid being put in debtor's prison, you would just be crazy not to take advantage of that opportunity. So Jesus opens this week's passage and he's continuing with the idea that we need to judge for ourselves what is right, to open our eyes and look and see what is going on around us. Lydia, last week she unpacked what Jesus was saying to the crowd. He was saying, open your eyes, look at what is going on with the world. Learn to interpret the signs of the times. You can look at the the clouds and predict the weather, or look at what is going on in the world and recognize what is going on, and in particular, recognize the Messiah is here, hello, right in front of you, right now. What are you going to do about it? And knowing this is the season that we're in, recognize that we're dwelling in the closing chapters of the age, Jesus says to the crowd, so why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? The Messiah is here, right in front of you. Now is the time to decide what you're going to do about it. Don't leave it until it's too late. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Now, as I was reading this passage, the word that really jumped out at me was this word settle. Settle with your accuser. And I think that's a word that's got some baggage, actually. I mean, if you think of the way that you might use it, certainly in modern language, to settle is a negative thing, isn't it? You settle for less. To settle is to compromise. If you settle, then you have not won. If you've settled, then you've let the wookie win. When you settle, the other person scores a point over you. So this whole idea of settling has a very negative connotation, I think, to our 21st century years. 
especially if you think you're playing a finite game and where settling means the other person scores a point. So how do we unpack what was the real meaning that Jesus was saying? So why don't we take a little peek at the Greek and this word that has been translated as settle, what does it really mean? So in the original New Testament Greek, the word here is apalasso, okay, apalasso. And it's actually got three very kind of clear meanings that it brings with it, okay? So let's dig into all of those. So the first meaning for apalasso means to come to a settlement, to come to an agreement, yeah, to settle. That's what we've, that we've said. But it also means to free, as in to free someone from prison, and it also means to vanish, to depart, to cease to exist as if it has never existed. So to settle, to free, and to vanish, apalasso. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want to dig into those three meanings and how they're going to keep you out of prison or keep you from the judgment that is due to us all when we finally all end up in front of that magistrate and the book of Revelation. So first of all, settle, okay? It means to come to a settlement, not to settle down, not to give up. It means to come to some form of agreement. And this is what Jesus would go and do on the cross. In Galatians, we read 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. When you redeem something, it's, it's a legal transaction that takes place like paying the money owed to get something back from a pawnbroker. So Jesus paid the price to remove from us the consequences of breaking God's laws. Paul explains this better in Colossians chapter 2. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, the sins, all the wrong things we do, and the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So the, the debt which we owed, if you like, the debt which was due to all of our sin and selfishness, it was like a debt that's owed to justice. Yeah, all of our greed, our blasphemy against God. Yeah, we all deserve to go to debtor's prison for that stuff. But the debt is cancelled because someone else paid the price. Just like a third party paying the debts that were owed to release someone from a you know, conventional Victorian debtor's prison. And I wonder if the Apostle Paul was inspired because it's thought that he, he and Luke knew each other. I wonder if Paul was, he was writing this bit in Colossians, he was remembering what Luke had written in his gospel, because the two things seemed to go together. This idea that Jesus cancelled the record of debt that stood against us. So the settlement that Jesus is referring to is the settlement, the agreement that someone else pays your debt before you end up getting in front of the judge. And in fact, in saying this, what is Jesus doing? He's just prophesying what is going to happen upon the cross, that he will go and pay the debt for every person who puts their faith in him before we all end up in front of the judge on judgment day. 
And when that debt is paid, when that debt is paid, what happens? The records of our sins, they vanish. And this is the second meaning of apalasso, to vanish, to vanish. Because when God forgives, he forgives completely. The record is white clean. Not only is the debt paid, but there is no longer any evidence that the debt ever existed in the first place. Yeah, it has vanished. You know, Lydia read this morning, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And we, and we see these ideas coming together as well in, in the prophet Isaiah, this idea of reaching a settlement, you know, this sense of, of agreement of what you're going to do about the situation and our sins vanishing. Isaiah 1.18, it says, really interesting, it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, for though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Now I've found, I don't know if any of, of, of you have found this as well, but as I get older, I discover that there is just so much knowledge in my head that sometimes there's no room for anything new to get in. And, and Lydia might tell me something, and just, there's just no storage to receive that information that she's just told me. And you know, a few days, hours, minutes later, she'll say something, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm a bit like God in that respect. <laughs> let, let, let me explain. Bear with. You see, sometimes I think we come to God in prayer and we start talking about the things that we've done wrong and how we messed up. And I think sometimes Father God says, what are you talking about? You see, God does not decide to overlook our sin. He's not politely ignoring a bad smell. He has wiped out all record. He has wiped out all record. It's just like it had never happened. So when we come to God and say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry about that thing. I just feel bad, still feel bad about that thing I did a year ago. And God's like, what thing? We are free from the consequences we are free from the judgment. We are free from the guilt because it's just as if it had never happened. That is God's forgiveness. Scarlet to snow, east to west. The record has been wiped clean. And that sets us free. Free from the guilt. And this is the third meaning of apalasso. Rhymes with Ted Lasso. Free. Because we are free because Jesus has paid the ransom... That sets us free. It's almost like we were kind of kidnapped by sin and Jesus paid the ransom that allowed us to be free. I think no one who was ever kidnapped and then set free decides to go back to the kidnapper's lair and says, actually, I don't deserve to be free. Could you just put me back, <laughs> handcuff me back to that radiator, you know, feed me dog food? No, because when you've been set free, what do you do? You get as far away from that prison as you can. The, the cross was always God's plan. It's not a plan B. 
Jesus always intended to pay the ransom to set us free. It's 700 years before Jesus was even born. Hosea was prophesying in chapter 13. He says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. That's another word for, for hell, if you like. I shall redeem them from death. This was God's plan 700 years before Jesus was even born. And Paul picks up this idea of a paid ransom in his letter to Timothy. He says, for there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So this word apalasso is rich in meaning. All these ideas are kind of wrapped up there in what Jesus is saying. And he's warning the crowd. And he's warning us today, 2,000 years later. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is the right thing to do? As you get ready to face the magistrate, you need to settle before it's too late. And this is the promise and the purpose that's found in today's passage. We will all face that magistrate at the end of days, when God will judge the living and the dead. And the question is, have we reached a settlement with Jesus? That means he has paid the debt that we owe to justice. Have our sins vanished from the eyes of God? And are we set free from the things that held us captive because Jesus has paid the ransom? And if the answer for you today is honestly, well, no, actually, then listen to the words of Jesus and judge for yourself what's the right thing that you should do today while there is still time to reach that settlement with God. Take him at his word when he says in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Let's talk about this, says the Lord. Though your, skins, your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white like snow. And if you've already reached that settlement with God, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you know what? We should live every day as if we believe that to be true. Don't keep bringing up things from our past that God is forgiven. As you're praying, you don't want God to be saying to you, what are you on about? We have been set free from those things that used to hold us captive, those things that kidnapped us. The ransom has been paid. So let, let's not be going back to those things, those relationships, those people that we know would hold us captive if they could. So please join with me as I pray. You can use this as a prayer of, of recommitment remind your heart and mind of what is already true for you or you can make it your first time choice to ask Jesus to be your Lord and so you just say amen at the end to make it your own or join in the words will be on the screen but let's let's pray Lord Jesus thank you for setting me free from the things that hold me captive from my own weaknesses my selfishness and my pride thank you for paying the ransom that bought my freedom Thank you for paying the debt that was due for my sin. I declare that I am free from the things that held me captive. I am free from guilt, and I am forgiven. I declare that you are my Lord. You died to pay for my sin and rose from the dead in victory. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer of commitment for the first time this morning, please tell someone before you leave today. If you're watching at home, you're listening to a podcast, tell someone before you go 
to bed. And please let me or Lydia know and we'd love to give you a gift to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with you, look on you with favour. Favour, favour, favour. And give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Hope Church. Thank you for joining us here this morning. And be sure to come and admire the cables before you depart. Go in peace. The love and serve the Lord. Amen. Amen.